Grace, mercy, and peace to you in the name of God our Father. Amen. Today I want to start off with a very profound but very obvious statement, I think, and it's this, that I believe that some of the deepest hurts that we can experience in life come from our family, from our spouses, from our children, from our relatives. They can be ungrateful, they can be unkind, they can be unfaithful. One of my best friends in high school um, has been calling me a lot recently because he's struggling with his wife. This person that stood before the Lord and said, I do for the rest of my life. And it's tearing him apart. I've talked to parents over and over that are concerned about their older kids and just are devastated by choices that they're making. And they're in pain and they're worried and they're depressed. I'll say it again, that I believe that some of the deepest hurts that we can experience in life come from our families. And so the story that we're going to be taking a look at today, I believe, gives us some hope to hurting parents this morning, specifically that. And as I begin, though, I just want to kind of admit before you that I feel a little bit like a man named Charles Shedd, and he used to do a seminar on parenting when he was single, and he entitled it, How to Raise Your Children, a very confident title. He said after he got married, he changed the title to Some Suggestions for Parents. And then after his first kid, he changed it to Feeble Hints to Fellow Strugglers. And then he said after three kids, he just gave up talking altogether. Or again, there was a lady who jumped on the bus one day with five kids, and the bus driver said, are all these your kids or is it a picnic? And she said, buddy, they're all mine and it ain't no picnic, you know. <laughs> Another lady asked her husband after he took her son to school, she asked, did Billy cry when you took him to school today? He said, no, but the teacher did, you know. And so while I've established that I'm probably not an expert when it comes to parenting, I want you to know that God is, that he is the ultimate authority, and that there's so much in his word that is awesome and that is helpful for parents today. And that's who we're going to do, go to this morning, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. In fact, one of the things that has really bothered me over the years is this. Why is it that godly parents sometimes have kids that go astray? I think it's an interesting thing to look at. There was a Republican National Convention just recently, and one of the takeaways is that you can't fake good kids. You know, I think that's true. But the converse is a little bit more muddy because Satan is always working one way to destroy. And so I'll ask again, why is it that godly parents sometimes have kids that go astray? And the answer is, I, I don't know. It happens all the time, though. Why do you think there's such a stigma about pastor's kids? We even have a title, PKs, right? And they're usually the ones leading the trouble. Oh, tell me if my kids do, because that would really be helpful as a parent. Um, but it happens in the Bible. It happens in church history. In fact, some of the most godly people I know have had kids that go off the deep end. Why? And again, I, I don't know the answer to that except to say that Satan works really hard against us and against our kids. And so I don't think there is a single answer to this. There's just so many factors. And I think there's a lot of parents as a result that carry a lot of guilt around thinking that they're the only one responsible for their kid's behavior. I want to start off this morning just by saying this. You're not, right? There's a lot of factors that you don't have any control over. Why? Because God has given you guys, but he's also given your kids this crazy thing called free will. And if you want to understand that, just reverse it a little bit and look at yourself. 
can you honestly blame any of your bad choices on your mom and dad? I mean, I know we love to play this victim role in our society today. And Oprah Winfrey, man, she used to help all sorts of ways. Blame your mom, blame your dad. But as you look at your life, as I look at my life, not one of my bad decisions can I say, oh yeah, it's mom and dad's fault. No, it's my fault. I own all the dumb things that I've ever done. I was there. I made the choices. And so as a pastor, I just want to tell you, probably more than other people, I see the heartbreak that happens in families when one of the family members, and it's not always the kids, but one of the family members chooses a lifestyle that messes everybody up. You see it in divorces. You see it in kids' bad decisions. You see it when there's addictions involved. And it hurts, and it's overwhelming. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at the story of the prodigal son. Because I think this story illustrates for us in a wonderful way what you are supposed to do. So this is instruction for parents. When your children grow beyond your control. And we see as we go through this at least a couple stages. And I'll kind of flesh them out a little bit. But the first stage as you go through the story is just the first part of the story, which I'll just call the rebellion of the son. In verse 11, it says that Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. And, he had, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Uh, that was pretty brassy. I, I can't imagine anybody just kind of going up to their dad and saying, oh, I know you're not dead yet, but could I have my inheritance yet? I mean, that's pretty bold, is all I'm saying. Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them, and not long after that, the younger son got all that he had together and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So stage one, then, is rebellion. In every parent-child relationship, there's going to be a struggle, and it is a struggle for control. It's looking at the whole idea of who's in charge. In our society today, it seems like a whole lot of parents have just abdicated that from the beginning. They want to be friends, and so nobody's in charge, and that's not true because the kid's in charge, and it does all sorts of damage to that family. But at birth, a parent, as a parent, you are 100% in charge, but as they grow, That power is supposed to and does get transferred. Your control is not permanent. And the kids want that control as soon as humanly possible, almost without exception. The problem arises then when they think they deserve it sooner than we're ready to give it to them. So here we have a picture of that in this classic confrontation. The son says to the father, Father, give me. You know, you heard that when your kids were little, give me, give me, give me, okay? I want you to look at the word give me. Because that is the root of all rebellion. If I could just do as I please, if I could just be my own boss, if I didn't have to answer to anyone, life would be great. And in verse 13, after outgrowing his father's household, it says, He got all that he had together and he set out for a distant country and he squandered his wealth and wild living. And so this guy, he heads for Vegas right, or for Hollywood or for wherever. He goes to Sunset Strip in Jerusalem. He gets in his Camelac, and he's living it up, right? He's cruising the boulevard. He's having a great time. He's doing exactly what it is that he wants to 24-7. But at what cost? What can we learn from the boy's father in this story, who is a symbol of God, by the way, who instructs us on how to behave and how to work with our kids when they make these kind of choices? Places where we don't have control over them anymore. Places where they're making bad decisions or unhealthy decisions and it's driving us nuts. He gives us three things to think about this morning. 
three pieces of wisdom, three right ways to respond. And I'll just tell you, they're all hard, and they're all hard in progressive ways. And in our society today, we do all these pretty poorly. One of the first things you'll see in the story, one of the truths that God gives us right from the beginning is you have to let them go. The younger son, it says, sets off. The father didn't chase him, he released him. And from birth, we're preparing our kids to leave. It's hard when you're taking the kids home from the, from the hospital for the first time. You're thinking, wow, this is cool. And even right now, I have one that's in seventh grade, and I'm thinking, this is so cool, you know. And, and then I thought to myself, she could be married with kids in, 20, in 10 years, and, and that just freaked my wife out, you know. And, and I, man, we could be grandparents, you know. Certainly his son's request seemed foolish to the dad. No doubt even tried to reason with him, but to no avail. The young man was determined to leave, and so the father let him go. Because the fact is, the tighter we hold on, usually the worse things get. And so step one is always to let them go. The next step is harder. We need to also get to the place where we can let them make their own mistakes. It says here that he squandered his wealth and wild living took everything his dad had given him, and he blew it. He wasted it all. At first, the story is great. It's party time, right? He's living it up. He's probably tried everything, especially those things that were forbidden at home. He's having one good time, living the party life. He tosses his parents' values to the wind. He rejects their background and is having a great time. But it says that he wasted his wealth. And rebellion is always just that. It's a waste. Usually, it's just a wasted life. Now, let me ask you in the midst of this picture, do you think that the father knew that his son was going to waste the money? Absolutely. Do you think he knew that his son was headed for trouble? You bet. Do you think he was tempted to send letters of advice? Absolutely. Ever been at the, your computer just wanting to press send, you know, and that email? But the father realized that there are some things that we only learn through pain. Is that a true statement? Yeah, we all know that. And this kid was like that. He was stubborn. And the only way he was going to learn it was through the school of hard knocks. In Proverbs 20, verse 30, it says, Solomon, the wisest man ever says, sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. Frank Fried, a famous psychologist, once wrote, I've talked to a lot of people and most of them say, if I had to do it all over again, I'd do less for my child and I'd make him do more for himself. Force him to be responsible, to grow up. Because the reality is when we take responsibility for our children, we take it away from them, and they resent it. But it's hard to let them go, isn't it? It's even harder to let them make their own mistakes. But that's exactly what the father did. He let his son blow it. He let him make his own mistakes. And if you think this isn't hard, talk to any teacher that's out there and be amazed at how many parents go and and argue grades over stuff that clearly the kids didn't study for. God also teaches us a third thing that's even harder. It's let them reap the consequences of their own choices. You see, there's a price tag for rebellion. It says after he spent everything, he began to be in need. There's a a price tag for rebellion. In Galatians 6, 7, it says, Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What you show, you shall reap. In verse 14, it says, After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen in that country, 
who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So in the story now, it's hard times. The party's over. He's broke. He's friendless. He's at the bottom, empty pockets, empty stomach, empty life. And his father is watching his son reap all these consequences of his own choices. Now, let me ask you again. Do you think his parents, how do you think his parents felt when they saw this happening to their son? We've raised him. We've given him everything. We've done right, and now he's blowing it all. How do you think they felt? They probably felt sorry for him. My kid is out there suffering. I can't just let him sit there in a pig pen feeding pigs, starving to death. He's dying over there. He's hurting. And you naturally feel sorry for your kid. They probably even felt embarrassed. Can you relate? Here's a wealthy farmer and his kid's living like a bum, and they were embarrassed. Every report made them want to die. Every bit of gossip was like a knife to the heart. And some of you know exactly what that feels like because you've been there. Your kids have gone off and they've done things that you don't approve of, that you did not teach them to do. And you're embarrassed because you know they are more than what they've become. And so here this guy is simply reaping the consequences of his own decisions. He spent everything and then he began to be in need as so often happens. And I think there's a temptation here for, for parents here that, that, that is really hard to resist, and that is to intervene, to send the care package, to wire the money, to bail them out, to fly them out to see you, to move them into your house. But the father knew something very important that all of us have to learn, and that's that nature has a way of disciplining our children in ways that we can't. Those are the lessons we tend to remember the longest. And so God says, don't short-circuit the natural consequences. Let them reap the consequences of their own decisions. For again, those are the kinds of things that we remember the longest in our lives, that make the deepest impact. And so the father didn't intervene and let him hit rock bottom. Why? And this is so important. Because he loved his child and he wanted him to learn. My sister tells a story. She was in community college failing, and, and she was, just got dumped from a loser boyfriend, and she was sitting in a one-bedroom apartment listening to gunfire. Not the way she was raised, you know. But, uh, and she said, I had an aha moment. She said, what am I doing with my life? How did I get here? What am I doing with my life? And she said, in that moment, I decided to change things. And she moved back home, she went back to school, graduated magna cum laude or whatever, something that I never achieved. I mean, she, so I became the dumbest in our family overnight. And, but she had that moment in life where my parents just let her experience, to a certain extent, what life could be. And she realized, what am I doing? Life has an amazing way of teaching our kids lessons that we can't. And then it moves us to a stage two. Uh, stage two will call reevaluation and regret and repentance. In verse 17, it says, When he came to his senses, and some of you are praying that sentence for your children's lives right now. When is my kid going to wake up? When is he going to come to his senses? When is he going to see that he's ruining his life? And you're praying for that over and over. It says, When he came to his senses, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I'll go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. 
But I want you to notice the change in attitude. Instead of give me, he's saying, Father, please. He goes through a process of reevaluation and regret and repentance. He starts with the words, I'm sorry. In other words, he begins to wise up. It says he came to himself and he faces the facts and he recognizes, this is stupid. What am I doing here? Why am I sitting here feeding pigs? This is insane. This lifestyle is not worth it. And he begins to question his own lifestyle. Is this really smart? Heard a pastor one time talking about the prodigal son, and he said he went out and he sold his coat, and then he sold his shirt, and then he sold his pants, and finally he says he came to himself. But the fact is, so often we never change until we get desperate, do we? And so often it seems in life that God has to get our attention first before we can hear, before we decide to change. And then when that happens, and we humble ourselves before him, and we turn toward him, amazing things begin to happen. I want to take you back to the picture of the parent. To watch that takes a lot of patience in the in-between times. But that's what the father did. Again, the father is a picture of God toward us. He waited until God finally got his son's attention, and then he brought him home. And that's really what all of us want for our kids, isn't it? Not necessarily moving their things back in kind of way, but, but coming home and reconciling that relationship that was broken. In the coming home to forgiveness and love that's been waiting for them. In the coming home to where we know they're safe. Maybe just simply in the coming home. And that's what God wants from us too. He simply wants us to repent. You see, the thing that keeps us out of heaven is not that we're not good enough. It's that we're sinners. That's why we need Jesus. To wipe away the stain of sin in our life. To be made perfect before him. He simply calls us to repent and come home to him. Where we too can receive this amazing truth that despite all of our sins, that because of Jesus, we are still loved and forgiven by an amazing God. And that is pretty good news. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you for family. And we thank you, I guess, for perhaps especially this morning for our children. Father, give us wisdom as we raise them. Help us do the hard things that are the right things so that we show them boundaries and love. But Father, just help us as we navigate, just like the video showed us, as we navigate this parenting, it's a difficult process. And, and so we pray, send your angels around our kids and protect them when we can't. And send your Holy Spirit around them and, and in them so that when they weigh decisions, they still have you to contend with. Father, we love our kids. We pray for their protection, especially in this society today. And then, Father, we thank you for being so amazing to us, for being a constant source of strength to us as we walk through life, for being our Father that continues to call out to us and love us, for being our Father, our Daddy, who's always there to forgive. Father, thank you for being so awesome today, and we pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen.